Hey everyone, welcome back to Creative Consumption. I'm Daniel Schwartzberg, host of the show. Thank you guys, as always, for tuning back in and listening. I hope you guys had a great week and are all staying safe. If you have been listening and been enjoying the show and want to send us some of your thoughts, or if you've got some some feedback you want to send us, you can always send that to our email address, which is feedback at creativeconsumptionpodcast.com. Or you can just visit our website, which is creativeconsumptionpodcast.com, and you can send us a note right from there. You can also subscribe to the show right in Apple Podcasts or Spotify or literally any podcast app, wherever you're listening. And if you're liking it, maybe want to tell a friend, that would be great. We would love to to have more people get a chance to hear these interviews. Um, And on that note, today's interview is going to be with Abel Gariga. Now, Abel is... Just like everyone else, we've gotten a chance to talk to an extremely multi-talented and multifaceted artist and creator. Abel is a music director and orchestrator. He is a conductor and a piano teacher. He is a composer. Uh, so many, many things. He played on the Spanish language tour of Next to Normal. Uh, and when we recorded this interview, he was working as a rehearsal pianist for the Broadway production of Moulin Rouge in which, as you'll hear him talk about, he was actually about to also become a sub on the show itself. I actually, I first met Abel through Nathan, my brother, and of course, as you guys all know, the co-creator of the show. And I've really been lucky because I've had a couple opportunities to just sit and talk with him, and I, I could tell from our conversations that he's just an incredibly thoughtful person. So in addition to his creation, I think he has some really cool methods that he uses about how to stay balanced and about how to keep himself fulfilled and continue waking things so yeah I, th- I really hope you guys enjoy this one Abel thank you so much for for being willing to sit down and talk for a little bit of course I hope I give you some interesting infor- information for your listeners with so many different titles and so many different things you do and you specialize in mm-hmm. when you meet somebody for the first time how do you introduce yourself and what do you say that you do Professionally? Sure. If I were to ask you, like, what do you do, what would your response be? I'm a pianist, music director, orchestrator. And is there one of those three things that you feel like you gravitate towards more than the others? Yes. The pianist slash music director. I mean, the pianist who conducts uh, from from the piano. Okay. What we are known as a piano conductor. That's the one that I gravitate the most because how much I like, how much I like it. Cool. So take me back, right? You Mm -hmm. are growing up. And where did you grow up, Abel? In Barcelona. So you're growing up in Barcelona. Mm -hmm. What kind of things are you seeing or listening to or experiencing that put you on the path towards piano conductor being that thing that you love the most? I'll back up. In In my family, there's been always a tradition of like the kids go to music school, but not as a music, I mean, as an extracurricular. Thing. It's, a, it's a music school that is outside of school, so it has nothing to do with my regular like primary, middle, high school. We all go there because my parents decided that, and I support that, just as a side note, that it's very important to learn to be in contact with music on a more direct um, way than just by listening to it. Like to learn how to play an instrument, to learn how to, like, what is the score, how to read it. N- my parents never thought that any of the kids, we are four siblings, that none of us, they thought that none of us have to be musicians. We can, but we don't have to. But we all had to like go to music school, at least for a few years, to be in contact with a completely different way of thinking, of learning, of, of speaking, of communicating. So that's how I started. And I knew that it was easy for me, but not as a point... I was I didn't know on a way of like saying, Oh, that's very easy for me. I can be like really good at it. It was more like on a way that I don't have to practice and I can I can move forward just yeah. by one lesson a week or blah blah or when we would have like theory tests. I didn't have to practice because I didn't know why, it just like got in my brain or I don't know. It it was easy, it was fun, it was super fun and I didn't it didn't require me too much effort outside of school. So I was like, Yeah, why not? I was always surrounded, like, mostly in my house, we were, like, a very, like, pop singer-songwriter, like, um, local from Spain, like, music. So I was very involved with, like, again, uh, traditional, like, uh, Spanish singer-songwriters and a lot of, like, pop music. 
And I grew up, and there was a moment in my... I was playing in the band in music school, and, I, and they were like, we're going to play for a musical they were doing in the musical school. And I was playing trombone by then in the, in the band. I was not. You play trombone? Yeah, I play trombone. But I, 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 in that band, they already had a piano, so I was like, I'll join you playing trombone. And they're like, we're going to play for the musical that they're doing in the music school. I was like, great. And it was really, 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 really fun. And I was like, hmm. They're like, they're doing another next year. And I was like, do they need a pianist? Because I'm like, trombone is really fun. But I love piano, playing piano. Yeah. I know there's a lot that you can do. And then from there, I started discovering it because in high schools in Spain, we don't do musical theater the way you do it here. So I never like really knew, but I saw a couple of shows like Beauty and the Beast, the tours that they come in Spain, like Mamma Mia and all this stuff. And it was really fun, but nothing really caught my attention then. But it was then by like doing it and understanding you're telling stories and, and that even though I'm playing an instrument which I don't verbally express, I don't verbally tell the story. I was supporting an actor. Like I was helping everybody tell their stories. And I've always loved like to listen to other people's stories, to helping them either like to celebrate or like to go through a rough path. I always I feel that I'm a very empathic person and I love that. I love to like listen to other people's stories and help them. And or maybe not help them, just like to talk about it or blah blah. So I thought that I felt that it was like part of like telling so many different stories. And through the piano. I didn't have to like actually like be exposed. There was, I always love that there's an object between me and the audience. Did having that level of separation make it easier to feel like you were a part of it? Or did it make you feel more separate from the production? It was easier for me to be part of it because I was not too exposed, me as a person. I could, I could like say all my air quote opinion about it and tell my version of the story, but it would be always through a piano. So I feel that it's a language that everybody understands, but not on a deeper level as if we say words. And if it doesn't come from my mouth, I felt at that moment that it was not that personal. It was more like, oh no, I'm just reading a score. So it was easier for me to be emotionally involved and to feel that I was telling the story, but not feeling that I was personally vulnerable. I feel that being an actor, I was putting myself with my emotions out there, and that would not, other than missing, it's not something you want to hear. So the music was the medium that you felt like you could express yourself while still holding on to kind of the personal emotional side of things that you wouldn't want to say, maybe like through speech or through acting. Exactly. And from there, it, I discovered that some shows are conducted with a stick and some of them are not. So you can actually play and lead the band. And that was the adrenaline that keep drives, keeps driving me through finding better and higher and more interesting projects. Well, and for those shows that have a conductor with a, with, with a stick, right? With a mm -hmm. baton, right? Somebody like the more classical style that you think of with maybe like old Broadway shows or obviously with orchestras and large orchestral ensembles. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Did that ever appeal to you or was that would that have been a level of performance, quote unquote, like you were saying earlier, that would have like ebbed into the area of discomfort because of the emotional vulnerability you would have had to show? Actually, a stick conductor is something that for me, and that's a personal opinion. I cannot speak for all the conductors because probably the conductors are going to disagree with me. And that's why I too, I gravitate towards more the ones that are conducting from the piano. Right? When I'm when I'm conducting with a baton, I feel that I'm too far away. Oh, so it feels like it's further separated. For me, it feels that it's further separate because I have no control. There's no direct manipulation. For example, one of the things that I had to learn how to like deal with when I'm conducting with a baton is the fact that if there's, a, if there's an issue happening, which always happens in theater, I cannot change anything with like, I cannot change any sound. For example, if I'm playing on the piano, I can like, talk to the, my musicians on the mic, but at the same time I can like play with the singer so when the musicians hear me also for them it's easier to follow me. So if they hear that I'm playing a different chord, hopefully they've been playing the show for a while so they know where I am, but also I'm going to talk to them. But still, the fact that they can hear it, the, the ear is so powerful to musicians that as soon as we hear it, it's even faster sometimes to think, we're going to measure 55. If they hear a key change, for example, they're going to be, oh, he jumped to the key change faster. So for me that's 
I need to be hands on deck and I feel that with a baton I'm one step farther away from the deck too far for comfort yeah but that's my personal opinion so i listening like to a lot of like conductors or like talking with them for that's completely the opposite They're like no, no no there's so many ways you can do it that way that way and i know the ways but it's just like a feeling for me i do what i do because i love it otherwise i mean music is not gonna make me rich it's not you know hey never say never well never say never let's keep fingers crossed but that's not the plan <laughs> and i'm not expecting that so I'm trying to do as much as I can of what I love. And the closest I can be to that position, yeah. the happier I'm going to be, hopefully. There you go. I feel like that's, <laughs> like that's the life lesson right there. So I would love to know, in addition to the musicals that you started mm-hmm. to play in and the projects you were doing as either a musician or as a music director or as some kind of music teacher, right? What were the other things you were just watching what were the things you were like taking in when you were a kid growing up something that really influenced me is like playing soccer i have a i mean i love soccer and for me it was soccer but i feel that theater is a work that is a teamwork you need a big team and the bigger the production is the bigger the team is and for me soccer other than having fun playing it it taught me so much to be a team player to understand all the goods and all the bads. There's the biggest lesson, and there's there's a Spanish, a Spanish coach that talked about it, and I never like actually thought about it until he like verbalized it, is the fact that when you play in a team, you have a coach, a coach who decides who's going to play when. And when you're the player, and I remember that, like being, oh, today I'm not playing, or today I only played 20 minutes. Oh, today was a bad day. But the team won. So it was... So it's not a bad day for the team. And to understand and to like, to understand and accept and learning how to deal with being part of a team, which means that sometimes you're in the front. Sometimes you're in the front, you can be the leader, you can be the the one that scores a goal, which means that you're going to be like the deal breaker one, which in the theory we could say that you have the biggest solo, which is the showstopper, blah, blah. But sometimes your job is to sit out. Or your job is to be in fifth chair and that's important because they need somebody to sit on the fifth chair because otherwise this chair is going to be empty and there's some part that it's not going to be there on the orchestra or like to be um men 25 on the ensemble well we've all been that for me in the 25th chair you we've all been uh, actors they've uh, most of them have been um men 25 on the ensemble or swing or the fact that to understand how important everybody is and how important now that i'm i'm lucky enough that sometimes i'm a music director which means that i'm the leader of at least a part of 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 big departments like to understand also now that i'm when i lead my my team how to make sure that everybody understands and feels important whatever their position is whatever they they're playing every night a show or they are standby which means that they're sitting out every night until somebody unless somebody gets sick or un- unless that specific person gets sick when there's a lead then has a standby on when you're a swing and nobody gets sick or for example now Moulin Rouge finally for last week um Aaron TV one of the leads went out for a vacation it was the first time he missed the show oh wow so there the he's under study and he's swing who understudies him has never been on and unders making sure that those person who are have the tough job of like just like waiting and having the role ready every time even though they're not playing it so understanding how to manage all these different like positions personalities and like the feelings of those people because yeah you understand you make them feel important but at the same time they're they're gonna feel whatever they feel. We all love to play. We all love to perform. That's why we do what we do when we're in those productions. But at the same time, you may not be able to play because your role is to wait until somebody gets sick. That's why soccer, but sports in general, help me so much. Do you still play soccer? No, because here you don't play soccer, guys. I mean, you don't <laughs> play that much soccer. It's hard to find it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's hard to find a place where they have like adults. Like things, I haven't done like deep, deep, deep research. I would love to go back to it, but first let me establish myself, like in terms of like paying bills, getting jobs, line that, up that stuff. That stuff. That's not Who important. cares about that? No, not New York. <laughs> um, so, do you think that 
that idea that we we're all contributing towards a common good, like whether that's the production going up, the game going well, do you still prefer to be one of those people like the music director role or like the conductor role where you can have more of a broad overview of stuff? Or like you were saying earlier, because it sounded like you also gravitated towards this idea of having a level of separation from things. Do you find that more comfortable when you're in one of the, like the chair 25 positions and then you're still important to the process, but you're not the figurehead that people are looking towards? I love both because for me, there's a fun, I love to like talk a lot about with different musicians, with different, like even like about politics or anything about people who also like think different about the same subject matter to understand their point of view. I love to talk about people who think different and sitting on chair 25th, even though sometimes I get to be the conductor on the same show for me sitting on, on chair 25th, it means that I'll get to like see somebody else opinion on that. So that's why I think why I love both. I still prefer the music director because it's a little bit closer to the action and because the adrenaline. Because when I'm playing live, I'm expecting adrenaline going through my body. That's why I I prefer that one, but I prefer being a team leader. Also, I used to be most of the times the captain of my team, and I feel that there's part of me that always wants to get more involved than just being the... I feel that I have personality that always tries to get as involved as possible. So that's why I usually gravitate towards being a team leader, like towards like leading a department, if that makes sense. Even though then on the actual showtime, I'll sit on chair 25th. As long as you've had that chance to be a part of the process as a leader... Mm-hmm. If your ultimate role is to be somebody more in the background, let's say, and not not that that's a bad thing, like we just said, like no, no, being no, no, in the no. background is not inherently a bad thing. You need that. Exactly. But if that ends up being your ultimate role, if you can at least have that moment of contributing as a leader in the process, then that's a balance that you like to strike. And not even a leader. Like being, having as much and in the process of like creating, developing, rehearsing. For example, the other day when I got, when the, when the associate conductor was like, hey, I'll need more subs, would you be interested in? I was like, yes, I will, I would be interested in, let's talk about it, but please don't get me out of the rehearsal room because I'm the rehearsal pianist. I'm one of the rehearsal pianists. And for me, I, I wanna play shows, I've been missing playing shows a lot, and I want that adrenaline back in my body, but at the same time, being in the rehearsal room, I get to like, first of all, to meet the people, to have a direct contact, to like, go through the score with them, again, when we need to teach new people. So, to see their inputs, their outs, their, what they think from people who come from outside and who's learning the show for the first time, and I think with the process like for six years. So, having the chance to like, put a hand on like when people are learning, the more that I can be involved with what's happening on stage, even though it's actively or passively, that's how I feel more ful- fulfilled. So you're, you're in Barcelona, right? You're, you're enjoying your piano stuff. You're getting to play for these shows now. You're getting to, whether that's as the music director or as Chair 25, right? One of those things, you're getting to be a part of these processes. And then you come to the US. You came for school? Is that why you came? Yes. For Berkeley. For Berkeley. Um, and you were studying, was it conducting at Berkeley? Film or? scoring. Film scoring. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. I, uh, why film scoring? It was the widest education I could get. Was there something in particular about films that you had seen and music for those films that made you think that was like going to be the right program for you? There was two things. One related with that question that you said about like something about films it was John Williams. Which, any particular John Williams? It's not my favorite score of him. But it's definitely my favorite piece or cue if we're talking about like film. Sure. It's a Shark Age fugue from Jaws. Ah, so good. So many levels. Like only by listening, it's amazing. But if you like get a chance to pull up the score, it's even like it blows your mind. It blows your mind. Why? I I mean, like just as somebody who has a very layman's understanding of film scoring. John Williams is well known for for his themes. How he manipulates and manages his themes with you not even realizing it. So you listen to the piece and you get all the moods and it's perfect for the cue. So it's like, oh, and here it moves a little bit here. And I mean, in terms of feelings, it moves you like, it manipulates you the way it needs to, to the climax. And you listen to it 
without scoring. It's like it's a beautiful piece because it has like a few themes, a few themes, and it develops it, and it has like a lot of counterpoint, and then it goes to the climax, and it seems smoothless when it gets to the climax. But then you study it, and for that's the point when I'm like, I cannot believe you study. I studied so many years of counterpoint, Bach, and all this stuff, and you never study this because it's a master class of a counterpoint piece. You have the whole orchestra playing the same theme in different variations, in different like inversions, in different like rhythms, but it's the same theme at the same time. And it doesn't feel like something that you can, it's not something that you're listening and you're like, oh yeah, it's one of these experimental things. No, 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 it's a film cue. It was on a movie, on a blockbuster movie. But at the same time, you're listening to it and as a musician, it's just like, wait, what did he do? It reminds me like, to Steven Sondheim. Wait, I, now I gotta ask. So why Steven Sondheim? I feel be, it reminds me of him, not because the way they write, blah blah. It's just because they're writing for a media that people are gonna go f- f- with all kinds of backgrounds, all kinds of expectations. Like some people are gonna go to see shows to like be to like think about stuff. Some people are gonna have go to see shows to like be distracted, like to entertain them. And same with movies. And it's a very like accessible media. And still, they're going to be successful with general audience, with like nerdy audience who are in the business or who love the business, and they can fulfill all of these departments without sacrificing any of them. I mean, you go to see a Sunheim show and you and I are going to like be, oh, did you remember this part, how they like this character or like this, this song, blah, blah, blah. But then my parents are going to go to see it and they're going to enjoy it because of the story. But neither you and I or nor my parents are going to feel like they're not going to feel oh yeah it was a very like it's for example my mom sometimes she listens to like some more like experimental or like some more contemporary like classical music and she feels like it's that it's she can feel that it's like something really interesting and really cool but at the same time she feels that it goes over her head or I can feel like that sometimes when I hear like I don't know some talks about like math or like science but then when you find this like doctor that talks about like i don't know a special uh, special thing that you're interested in like in the brain or something that it can be interesting for doctors but at the same time it can be appealing to you who knows nothing that's why i say that john williams and steven sondheim for me i would not say they're equivalents because that's too vague to say but that they remind of me to each other in different medias because they both are appealing to people who are experienced and who are in the business and who know about the business, but also to general audiences who are just interested in in this kind of business. Yeah. And that's really hard if you think about it. Like, appeal everybody. I mean, then they're going to like it or not, but be appealing to. Yeah. But film scoring, I can imagine, must be an inherently, or maybe this is just my ignorance, but just hearing film scoring, that sounds very different than music conducting experience or the piano conducting experience that you were talking about earlier those experiences in high school or that you were having mm-hmm. with those shows. So were you able to find aspects of film scoring that reminded you of that or were you finding yourself pulled towards a different area of music? For me, they're both the same thing. One is live, the other one is not. I write musical theater, but that's not something that I offer and I just write it and I put it on a drawer. Maybe someday it'll come out. But I want to hear the trunk songs of Abel Gariga. You, you're going to hear them, believe me. <laughs> but the thing is that both of them do the same thing. They support a story. One is live, so when there's a chance of mistake, that's why we have the beautiful thing called a vamp. <laughs> the other one doesn't have vamps because the, they tape it and that's it. Yeah. And they send you a log thing and you score to, to that. But for me, they're both the same thing. And again, we go back to the f- one of the, I think that it was the first question or one of the first questions we talk about is like, I like better theater. I not say I'm not gonna say I like it better. I'm say that I I gravitate towards theater way more than film because one, it's a teamwork, and I love to work with people. While writing for a film, it's more like an, a solitary, like a more individualistic yeah, yeah, thing. Yeah. And second, because you have hands on deck on musical theater, you 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 have the adrenaline. It's a live thing. But I still write for short films every now and then. and But yeah, for me, they're the, bo- the same thing. There's only like the live component that obviously changed completely how you built it, how you built it. Sure. But it's the same thing. You're supporting whatever is happening 
on screen or on stage through music. I, I would never have thought of it that way. To kind of go back to what you were saying mm-hmm. about those three areas you wanted to touch mm-hmm. on, right? The kind of the conducting, the um, writing, and playing, right? So for those three activities, how did you handle having to say, okay, for this hour I'm writing, for this next hour I'm playing, and for the hour after that, or for the three hours during rehearsal, I'm going to be music directing, right? So when you're going between the three things, did they seem like separate activities, or did they all seem like they were part of a whole? I understand them as a one thing, because that that's who I am. So f- they're separate into disciplines, because th- that's how they're organized in like in the curriculum, in the, in, in the curriculum yeah. or in like the industry in the world or the same way that there's labels on in terms of styles of music blah blah but for me there are one thing obviously i have i had to separate them especially when i was in school because in and still nowadays i have to separate every now and then because they require different preparation so in school it was easier to separate because basically the homework <laughs> the homework dictates you when you're going to spend your time but still for example, at Berkeley, I knew that the, my first two years I would play piano because of like le- because I had to take lessons, and that would like tell me like what to prepare. Even though I could choose a material, but I had to practice for lessons, I had to practice for tests, blah 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 blah. But once I finished those those lessons, I was like, well, now you need to make sure you keep it up. And when I kept taking lessons privately with a teacher, but also at the same time, I needed to make sure that I would save at least a couple or three hours a day to practice piano because you're a performer and you we always say that we are being a performer is like being a professional athlete mm-hmm. and a professional athlete trains xyz amount of hours a day no matter what so the part of performing piano there's some part that it's technique obviously but there's also some part that it's muscle and the muscle and the strength and the um, and the endurance, that's the word I was looking for. And the endurance, it's something that you cannot train overnight. You need to like train constantly. And strength, endurance, and technique, I was like, you cannot stop doing that. And even though I was taking lessons, I was like, I need to make sure that even though I have, I'm like loaded of work with like arranging studio hours, finding musicians to record, blah, blah, blah. I need to make sure that I would find those hours because otherwise once I graduated and I would, if I started to find a job with two years of barely practicing at all i would be like that's not gonna work because the, because you need to compete with people that has been trained only as a pianist when you go and try to book a job on not even on broadway like anywhere in new york sure yeah there's people who have their degrees and their masters on piano it's not about the title it's about the amount of hours that each title implies i don't care about the title but for me if you tell me i have a ma- uh, an undergrad and a master's on piano, I'm like, I'm just thinking about the amount of hours that you put in front of instrument, which is basically right. what you need to practice, 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 practice. That's why I was like, Abel, you need to make sure that you have those hours. So that's that's how I organize it in school. Nowadays that I don't have a school, I try to like balance between what I do professionally and what I don't do to make sure that all my disciplines are at the top level, no matter what I'm doing professional. For example, now I'm playing a lot professionally. So I know that first. When I get home, I have to be careful how many hours I practice and what I practice because the muscle gets tired. And I need to be ready for the next day. So maybe I practice a little bit less, but then I work more with orchestrations or like I still like I practice my stick conducting because if at some point I want to uh, there's a job offer or I want to book a job that requires stick conducting, I need to make sure that my chops are are high there. Or I still write keep going to the drawer but but i still i still write because that drawer's getting very full oh you don't know about that i gotta <laughs> see it someday <laughs> but that's kind of like how i organize it because again i feel them that it's one single thing but as a preparation they require different disciplines do you think you're good at that kind of switching between or knowing when you're gonna pull back on the on the practicing the actual physical piano and switch more to writing or is that something you've had to develop over time to be good at I feel I'm good because I've been doing it for a while. Yeah. And I'm I'm pretty good at like rational thoughts. So I'm like, when I have a bad day, I'm not good at separating because I may be like, uh, I may wake up and be like, no, today you're a 
super bad piano player. You just need to put 12 well, hours in front of it. You got to look at the angel on your <laughs> other shoulder. Don't let the devil talk yeah, to you all the time. But when the devil talks, you're not great. But in general, I'm pretty good at rational thoughts. So I'm, I got it to the point right now that I'm really good at knowing what I need at what point. Thank God. <laughs> right. Yeah. Too much wasted Man, time. you got to teach me some of those tricks. <laughs> so when do you decide I need to take a break from all this stuff? Like, what is, is there... Is there something you like to do when that amount of stuff you're doing gets so large that you need to turn it off? That's a very interesting question because I feel that I'm still struggling. And I've been doing that for almost 10 years. What do you find hard about that? For me, music was a hobby when I was in high school. Music and soccer were my hobbies. I don't play soccer anymore. And music is my job. Finding a hobby... I, I still feel that I don't have a hobby. I find I'm going to answer your question because I found ways to like, yeah. for example, I love being surrounded by my friends. I love it and doing things. So even though I'm loaded up on work, if I have an hour, I'll go out with my friends or I'll stop by whatever friend is on my way home and I'll just stop one hour there. I'll hang out. I'll just like wash out my brain and then I'll I'll go back home. I'll sacrifice hours of sleep because uh, towards my social life. That's my way of... Because that's the only way that I found out until nowadays to keep my brain out of it. Even when I go to the gym, because you go to a gym and you play some music or you play a, po a podcast and you're thinking about it. And it's like, no, I need my brain to flatline. A lot of them, are in, most of them are in the business or sure. they not, they've been in the business at some point. So we'll talk about it at some point. But then we turn on like the most random like show that it's on TV. Like, yeah. for example, no, the last one that I was attached, The Bachelor. Oh, okay. Do I think it's a bad show? Absolutely. Every time <laughs> they open their mouth, I'm like, oh, God. Because I'm nothing farther away from those people. But you know what? I don't want to miss a single word they're saying. They get me, like, connected and they make me not think. Or, like, RuPaul Drag Race. Okay, yeah. This kind of, like, funny, distracting, entertaining... Or like cheesy or whatever, like Grey's Anatomy. Grey's Anatomy and they have 2,000 seasons. You turn on any like episode or, or whatever, Big Bang Theory. My friends always scream at me because I still watch Big Bang Theory. Yes, I do. Um, or things like this. And we, we cook over like a random TV show and we eat and then... Or we talk about stupid things. Yeah. We talk about stupid things. And that's what distracts me nowadays to keep me like healthy. And in terms of stopping... I'm less a person that needs to stop on a regular base. Every now and then there's someone they're like, okay, my brain is a flat line. I need just to lay down and not do anything. Or if I know that if I had like, for example, the beginning of this month, January was very busy. I knew that February was going to be busy. And there was a weekend that I had nothing. And I got a call for something, but I was like, no, because I knew that they had other people to call. And I was like, no, I really need this weekend to not be working. Because even though I'll be doing things or I'll, my brain will be thinking, I'll still be at home. Or for example, that weekend, the whole Saturday is spent on the, at the movie theater, back to back. Then some drinks and going home. I'm not, there's, I have a lot of friends that are like, no, 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 no. I need a day of a week or I need a day of every other. I'm not that way. I can, I can power through because as long as I have like social life, I'll be good to power through. Even though I, sometimes my, my, my dad would get crazy during the rehearsal process of Next Normal. I would rehearse in Barcelona, but my my parents, I live like a 20-minute drive from Barcelona. But 20 minutes one way, 20 minutes the other way. So I would leave at 9 a.m. from home. We would do eight-hour rehearsal with the cast, then a four-hour rehearsal with the band. So I would we would start at 10 a.m. and we would finish at 10 p.m. And then at 10 p.m. I would be, Dad, I'm going to grab beers with a friend. And my dad would be like, but Abel, I mean, you have rehearsal tomorrow. I'm like, yeah, 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 I do, I know, but it's fine. I'll sleep a little bit less. And that and that kind of life is what powers me through rather than just like rehearsal, go to go home, eat and go to sleep. I'm more like of an active person. And especially, I don't know if it has anything to do, but I'm sitting when I'm when I work in my other time. I need to burn. My body needs to burn energy. I'm a high, high energy person and my body needs to burn. So you draw energy from those kind of social activities, like going out and those kind of things, rather than needing to like finish the show, go home, hit the sack. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Cool. Uh, so The Bachelor. 
the, the shows. Right? You want to talk Anatomy. about Bachelor? Always. Let's do it. Do you ever find that like you're watching The Bachelor, you're watching some show, and you're like, that moment was scored very nicely, or you're like, does that come? <laughs> like, do you start thinking about the professional side of things when you're trying to completely turn it off? Let me put The Bachelor out of that. Um, I'll tell <laughs> sure. you why. We'll just separate some show, any show. I'm able to. It took me a while, and musical theater taught me that because I found myself. I love musical theater. That's why I started. Like I decided to make it my my career. But then I would find myself going to see a show and being, ooh, ooh, that that she's not feeling good today. Ooh, that I would have not done it that way. I think the strings should be louder in here. The mix at the theater. Mm, what is this light coming from? Why is this light here? And. I would get out of the of the show thinking all these things. I'm like, and at some point I was like, you're not enjoying it anymore. You're generally not enjoying it anymore. And at that moment I was like, mm -mm. and I did an exercise. It sounds very stupid, but I'm I need to do this like, you know, putting. Sometimes I wake up and I do my schedule, even though I I can be all day at home. But I'm like, I'll do from nine to ten this, this, just to do one step because that way it's for me really good to like focus on one thing at a time. Because because I do a lot of things, sometimes my brain is in another place and I'm not able to focus in the other. So I'm like, I need to. So what I did was like, okay, from now on, everything you go to see, even though it's like a high school production or whatever, you need to like when you get out, you need to think about three things that you enjoyed, that you liked, how they did, and that helped me not to not to see the bad things not to not to see what they're doing what i'm i'm not, I'm not going to say bad things like what the things that i would have done different or the things that i didn't like just to like be able to enjoy it of course when i go to see a show i know the things that i like or the things that i don't like or the things that i would do different but i'm able to sit there and just enjoy it that's why i'm now I enjoy the fact that I'm a really easy person to take me at whatever theater to see whatever it is. Because I know that I'll enjoy it. I may like it or not, but I'll enjoy it. And that's, that helped me to like watch any movie or whatever. And I, obviously, sometimes I think, ooh, that was really cool. But to go to your point, my brain is not working. Bachelor is different because the soundtrack of The Bachelor is just like, it's amazing. Those cheesy pianos on the background when the <laughs> drama's happening. Ooh. We need to talk about they that. Got, they got to your soul. They got, they got to my soul. I yeah. bet if I, looked in that, <laughs> if I looked in that drawer, there's going to be a lot of Bachelor underscoring music. Well, I'm going to submit anytime should, soon some music to ABC. To Next see. time, I'm going to look in the credits. <laughs> Abel Gariga, Abel Gariga, all, all, all of the songs. All of them. All of God. them. Hey, everyone. Just taking a brief break from the episode to, again, remind everyone about the show notes and specifically about the resources in there related to arts equity and anti-racism specifically. Um, as always, I wanted to ask Abel if he had any recommendations in terms of things that he was seeing that were um, helping educate him and help him learn more. And he highly recommended this Google Doc that is compiled by a cast member of Moulin Rouge, which, as Abel was talking about, he has been working on as a rehearsal pianist. Uh, the cast member, Ashley Lauren, put together a really, really comprehensive and extensive list of resources from everything from books and podcasts and movies and TV shows and articles. And it also has resources about registering to vote and um, how to speak about these issues of racism with young children and really make sure that that education starts early. Um, it's it's very comprehensive. So I highly recommend it because I think everyone can find something there that they can kind of connect to and latch on to and hopefully uh, use as a way to keep continue learning and then from there to find ways to take action. So please take a look at that if you have a chance. Uh, thank you guys and uh, back to the interview with Abel. I mean, like that's great that you're able to actually not have to think about that stuff because I know that's it's not easy to not turn easy. that part of your brain off. I was just gonna add something to that point because it's true. I mean, I don't know if that happens in other business because I don't work on like the financials and the law and medical, but I'm I'm I've talked about that with a lot of friends. And I'm sure that you have an input on that. The fact that when, especially when you're drawn in a very intense process, even like rehearsal, that you have to put on a show in two weeks or you have to learn a score in like a week or something like this. The fact that you try to go to sleep and you feel that your brain is not stopping, that you wanted to stop, but your brain is generally not stopping. And 
I feel that it was very important, and that's why that's why I feel that it's it's very important, not in our business in general, to like be open to anything and not to be judgy. Because, for example, when I'm rehearsing a show as a music director, I cannot turn my I I could not turn my brain off. I could not shut it down. I would go, I would lay down in bed and boom, melodies and lyrics and boom, and I have to this and this and this and that. You forgot to put that in the schedule, blah, 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 blah. You know how I got to like shut down my brain? Getting a coloring book. It's a physical activity. I mean, that's explanation that I found. I don't know why it works for me and not somebody else, but it's a physical activity that requires my attention. Also, you need to choose which color you're going to use where. So it requires a little bit of thinking. But also it's a repetitive thing. So it's a passive. You don't have to like be doing all complex stuff and going here. And when I'm playing, I have to be careful of all the 10 fingers. And then I blah, blah. No, no, this, you just pick a color and you don't miss a line. And it's a very repetitive. And at some point for me, it's even hypnotic. Like these like pendles that did you go ting, ting, ting. And what I do is I put I put on one of like any pop artists from Spain that it it like kind of like brings me home, and I just turn that and in twenty minutes my brain is ready to go to sleep. Well, I find myself like falling asleep on the on the coloring book, so then I'm like, great, <laughs> you're ready to go to sleep. Do you still do that? When I need it, yeah. I have a coloring book always in my room. But that was my way. If I were a judge, I'd be like, coloring. What are you talking about? That's a kid thing, or like, no, that's not for me. I, I mean, that's why I'm like, you just need to be open because for me, it's coloring. For you, maybe just laying down on the ground, like with no like pillow or anything, just laying flat down and looking at the ceiling. For somebody, it's gonna be like going on a walk. I don't know. It's or the most random thing that I cannot even think about. But just like, but for me, it was very important because I would find out myself going to sleep but not really resting and waking up almost like even more exhausted because during the whole night my brain would have been like and it would never stop. Those two things were key for me to like, at least in my opinion, to where I'm nowadays and to survive nowadays. Those are the two things that were key, like to be able to enjoy when I go to theater because now for me going to theater is a distracting thing. It's a hobby, like going to see a show that I'm excited about, like, I'm looking forward because I'm going to see a show and know that I'm going to be distracted. Yeah. And finding a way to shut down my brain before going to sleep. I sympathize with the idea of, like, needing to get back into loving theater, right? I think that it was... I, oh, oh, for me, there was part of, like, getting back into loving books, I think, was mm -hmm. something that took me a long time because... Interesting. Because in school, I think we read so much for content. We read to analyze, yep. kind of like we do for theater, right? And I, I had been doing that for so long that I would be reading books and just, like wanting to underline and wanting to like put little sticky notes and like wanting to be like, if I were to write an essay, what would I choose out? Instead of just being like, I want to read a book and that's and it. like put it down and then I'm done with it. Right. And then like, just enjoy the fact that I read it. I'm and probably I'll like, forget about it. If I forget about it, that's I'll read okay. Again. Right. I'll either read it again or I'll read a different book. Right. Uh -huh. And like just getting to enjoy in the moment is so it's difficult. I agree because also for me to happen, I was a very bad reader in high school because I don't like when they tell me what to read. And now I'm finding myself reading some of the books that I read when I was in high school, but because now I'm interested in it. But but to that thing, I, I sometimes I, I love to read historical novels. Oh, cool. And I'm like, I don't want to forget about it because history is so important to everything we do, to even like shows that we, wo we work on or that, that I collaborate with writers. But I'm like, but to get to the point that like, well, if you forget, the book is there. Because also I found myself, like, because I wanted to remember everything and make sticky notes, I found myself that it was harder for me to get into the story and, like, to do the ride with the, with the, with the character or with the characters or whoever, whatever is happening in the book. But to do the ride and just enjoying, enjoying the wave. And when it's done, it's done. Right. And that's it. Nowadays, as you said, we have so many media. Like, you read a book about the Nazis, but then you have five shows about the Nazis and three movies and, and two concept albums. And you're like, if you forget about this detail in this book, probably it's going to pop up in here and there. So as long as you keep, like, reading and doing these things, you'll... you'll keep you'll making those connections. Yeah. I've talked to a few people about this, and I, I would love to know your take on it, both from a musician standpoint, maybe as a, as a music conductor, but also just your personal way of fitting this into your life but i think social media is something that's difficult if not impossible to avoid nowadays for a lot of people and i've gotten this sense from most people in the performing arts industry that it's a really 
not only just a personal tool, but also a professional tool for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious for you as a conductor, is there a similar expectation for the use of social media? How do you use social media and how does it fit into the balance you already have of being a piano conductor, doing your writing, those kind of things? Let me go first to the business part. I don't think any of us musicians, conductors, music directors are expected anything. There's only one thing. If you have a good social media, you may get sponsors for gear. You mean like as a musician, like like for keyboards or equipment like that? Yeah, for example, I'll if I, I don't know. Now I have to if I have to buy new headphones, a new set of in-ear monitors for like the shows because the ones that I have are really old. Of course, I can say that it's for Broadway and that's gonna that I'm playing on Broadway and that's gonna help me. But still, there's I have friends who are like touring internationally or blah blah who have like open doors to the best brands of like drum kits or like guitar. I've never been involved with that, so I didn't even know how it works. I just know that if they made X amount of posts per month, that's a deal they have with a guitar deal or like headphones or I don't know shoes, drum pads. How I use it. I started using it in a way that I felt that that's how I started getting involved with it, that I don't think that it's that way anymore, How where the social media has turned. Facebook for me was like to be in contact with my friends to see what they're doing, but not on a, on a way that it's using right now. Like, look what I'm doing. Look how beautiful. No, no, no. Hey, I went here. Look, I took a picture. Nobody cared how good the picture was. And I, I don't care because that's what I liked about social media when it started, especially Facebook, that it's like, you could see what other people were traveling, but not on a magazine. It it didn't look like you were reading a magazine. or Sometimes you don't know if it's like, oh, is this National Geographic or somebody who took a picture of an insect? It's like, oh no, it's that friend of mine and now he, they take pictures and they try to brand themselves as photographers. Well, I mean, which is great. I I support all different of passions and disciplines and I love the fact that nowadays other disciplines and other um, ways to like, other hobbies are way more accessible than they were before. But where the social media is nowadays, which is like not even a branding, it's a bragging. It's it's not a look where I went. It's like, hey, look where I've been that you have not. Or look, I was there that you were there too, but look where I, I was in that specific corner, like that specific very niche place that I took this picture look and you were not there. That's how I feel sometimes. That's why I even had to like unfollow a couple of friends because I could not handle the way they would use their social media. For example, these people that they go to see shows and every show they see is the best thing they've ever seen in their entire life. It was mind-blowing. I'm like, for the same reason that I started like, following my friends. I'm going to follow you. I follow you to see what you're up to, what you've been seeing, what you like, what you didn't like, blah, blah, blah. I'm not saying that you have to tag the show and say I didn't like you, but that everything you see, you love it. I'm not interested in that anymore. And sometimes it's even like going again. I, I just get nervous. I'm like, I have no need on doing this. Is it because you think you find it dishonest when somebody, it doesn't seem like they're being genuine when they put something like that up? Yeah, uh, this kind of like thing that, oh, everything is amazing. Blah, blah. And most of them, I know that they're not that way. It's just like the way they put out there, I'm like, okay, I don't need to see that. I'm not into that. We'll just grab coffee. We'll hang out as much as we've been doing until now. I just don't want to see that because that makes me nervous. I started Instagram my first day at Berkeley because I was like, it was private until then. It's not anymore, but it was private because I was like, I'm just going to accept my close people so they can see what I'm doing now that I'm not in my country. So all my people from Spain, my mom, my friends, my close friends, and not even that close, but people who are interested in see what I'm doing now that I'm house life on the other side of the ocean, and it's kind of thing, they can see it. Next normal, I made it public. Well, one of the actors got my Instagram made it public, so now it's public. But still, I barely make any posts. And there are posts that are relevant to me, or that I'm like, oh, uh, sometimes I like to scroll, and it's like a book, a memory book for me. Oh, remember when I did this? Oh, yeah, and blah, 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 blah. But it's more for this than for anything else. I, I have to say that there's some, especially like Facebook groups or things like that are very resourceful. Like there's a music director Facebook group, and 
there's people who post questions like, hey, I'm doing this show in that place or I'm doing this show in this high school, in this regional theater, in this, this professional theater. And I'm wondering, has, every, has anybody like tried use this reduction orchestration that now they're giving, MTI is giving? If so, um, how did you deal with the keyboard situation? Would you do it that way or that other way? And people answer sometimes. And I remember this day, somebody asked, hey, I'm doing the last five years somewhere. Um, is it possible to be done without a bass? And literally Jason Robert Brown answered the question. It's those connections and it's like, who better than the composer? Sometimes he like even throws a joke in there, but you get an answer. Yeah, that, I mean, that is cool too that you're in an industry where, yes, the people we idolize are incredibly important to us and they are impactful on the things that we do, but they're also not at that level of fame where they're untouchable, where exactly. you, we can't talk to them or we can't interact with them sometimes. So being able to be in a forum like that, is that kind of a draw of it too, that you have the opportunity to, to communicate or interact with people who are big in our field, yep. but are still just people? I've never tried to friend them after seeing the post, but probably they're not going to accept like your friendship. But the fact that you're in a not same forum, you, if you have a question and they, they decide they can be helpful and they want to answer, they're going to answer. And again, as you said, they're like, they're ten. I mean, you cannot touch them, but they're tangible. They're a real person. They use Facebook. They, and that's something that, for me, took me a little bit to adjust because especially, like, coming from the other side of the ocean, Broadway and everything that connects with Broadway, it's like, I didn't even know what Broadway was. It's like, what is Broadway? Is a street? Is an area? What is that? All of the above. All of the above. <laughs> a, B, and C. And now working with them and working with people that... When they tr when they come to me, they're like, "Hey, have we met?" And I'm like, "No, we've never met, but I know everything about you <laughs> because you study." And part yeah. of them have been. We were talking about that. I'm working with Danny Bernstein, and he did his Broadway debut when I was born. So of course he has like almost 30 years of career. So of course when I study musical theater, there's a lot of things that I study that involves him. So of course when I went to him, we introduced each other very, he's, a he's super warm, welcoming, all the cast in general. I have to say that lead, no lead, famous, no famous, they were all like super nice and welcoming even though I was only the rehearsal pianist sitting there in a corner. And But it's the fact that they're real people. They rehearse, they, they, they can talk to you. Something that social media sometimes make it even more less tangible, less that you cannot have access. Also, it makes it like super close because you can be in a forum talking about the last five years with um, Jason Robert Brown. So social media for me is a double sore. And because I feel that the arts business is very like unstable in terms of like employment and emotionally that takes a lot of work. I have it because I like having social media, but at the same time, I make sure that if there's anything that really is making me uncomfortable and making me like nervous or like anxious, I just get rid of it because there's no point for me on having it. Even though, oh, you're in front of me? Well, no, we can talk about it. It's because ABC and that's it. I'm friends. Let's go and grab beers and that's it. We were talking about how the things like that you were doing in high school, like music directing, conducting, those kind of things, piano conducting, they were the hobby, right? And they were kind of the fun side thing that was complementing everything else in your life, right? And now it's your job. It's the thing you do as a livelihood. I just really like talking with people about getting to that point where the thing that's the passion becomes the product. It becomes the thing that you're working and doing at the same time. Mm -hmm. And those things are working together. And how you then deal with work fatigue when the work is the thing that you love to do, does that ever become discouraging or difficult since you now have to be pursuing something that was a passion as a job? At least for now, I'm at a place that that's not a problem for me. That the fatigue it doesn't get over the fact that it's what I love. The fatigue gets over it when, I do, when I'm mostly working on things that, even though I'm okay with it, they're not my passion. I, we do a lot of work. We're talking about works that pays the bills and works that feeds our soul. Yeah. I've been luckily and blessed enough that lately they're merged. I still do a few of them that they're more because they pay the bills, but 
in general, everything that pays a bit, 90% of what pays my bills right now, it's, I love to do it. And I'm exhausted sometimes. But it takes, I feel that it takes time. It takes, I would not say, I don't like the word control. I would use more like emotional knowledge of your own emotions and learning how to like separate sometimes. For example, there's a lot of days that that's just something that happens to me like very easily that I'm rehearsing during the day. And when I would, I go home, I have to like either mm, arrange or like um, orchestrate stuff. And that's something that I love. And when I'm doing it, I love it. The only thing that scares me is like I have to sleep a little bit. So for myself, I know that six hours of sleep is good for me, enough to power through. So I'm like, okay, you have to orchestrate. You're going to go until 2 a.m. because you have to wake up at 8 a.m. And that's it. And I don't even think if I'm exhausted because I'll just sit and I'll have fun doing it. Don't know how I got to control that because for me what it worked is just like when I was like going home and thinking, now I have to orchestrate. I was like, wait, hold on. You love doing that. When you're doing it, you love it. So trying to not let my fatigue to get involved with my emotions. Fatigue is a physical thing. Fatigue is your muscles are tired. Even your brain can be tired. But that has nothing to do with the fact that you enjoy it. So either, are you that exhausted? Go to sleep. But it was just at some point I was like, Abel, don't say again, now you have to orchestrate. Or now you have to practice a new show that you're going to be playing in two weeks. What? It's like, wow, now you get to practice a show that you're going to be playing in two weeks. Are you exhausted? Yeah, you'll get time. You'll We'll have time to rest. We'll have time to like just, hopefully at some point we have a family and to sit on the weekends, on the couch, just reading or just relaxing. Watching The Bachelor. Watching The Bachelor, season 2000. No, but but it's true. It it was, for me, it took only the, the effort of like, when I would think like, now I have to say... Wait, hold on. You love doing that. Come on, dude. You love it. Just stop it. I mean, are you, you're tired, yeah, but you love it. And you have fun doing it. So that was what took for me, like, to separate it. To separate your emotions from your physical exhausting. And sometimes when you get to the point that you cannot separate it, it's worth it to go to sleep. And, or to stop whatever you're doing. Because it means that you're not going to do it well. And if you're not gonna do it well, it's not there's somebody else who should be doing it. That's why I feel that in that's one of the uh, that's why I still don't understand how in school they teach you about everything but emotions because I felt that all my not literally all my problems, but that in general, um, pro um, problem who gets solved if you like understand. Okay, that's what I'm going through right now. So let's do A, B, and C or D, F, and G which works for me or it doesn't, or let's try if D works for me. Oh, D works for me in this situation. Coloring works for me in this situation because it calms my brain. Or when, if I know that I have a rough day, what works for me? Just finding a friend. So when I have a, a rough day, I power through work. And when I'm done, I call literally all my friends. What are you doing now? Oh, I'm with blah, blah, wait, whatever. Uh, you, what are you doing now? No, I'm just home cooking. Hey, I'll come. I'll bring some wine and we're just going to grab a drink and watch whatever is happening right now on TV. And that's it. But knowing and accepting and understanding, there's nothing wrong. It's just like, it's emotions and you just need to understand how yours work and how you how to manage yours. I feel like I've just got like a session from you. I feel like I got like a... No. I'm going to go buy drawing books. I'm going to go... No, that, that, you know what happened, Daniel? That that's a theory. I'm really solid with that. Sounds like a, the happy emotion theory by Abel Gariga. Now I have to invest it in mine too. <laughs> yeah, now you have to write a book about it. You're <laughs> and read like it every night. <laughs> exactly, right? And draw on draw on it. It's going to be a coloring book. With coloring words. book. Exactly, right? With captions. <laughs> Abel, thank you so much. This was awesome. Thank you for having me. I hope I gave you some interesting thing for your listeners. This was awesome. This was great. Uh, before we wrap up, is there anything you want to plug? Anything you want to mention? No, thank you. It's I, always, I love to talk about these things. I love to talk about these things because... I feel that if you talk about it, I'll get something out of you that it's going to help me. And if I talk about it, you may take something that it helps you, which is like what I do, how I do it, and the way I manage. Not, not, I'm not even talking about like professionally. Like the way I manage my life is from things that I've learned from friends, from family, from like even movies that I've seen. Like just learning, oh, I like how they 
deal with these issues. Okay, so I'll try to like apply that to my life. Then it's hard because it's hard to put it like in a practical way, like in your real life, but at least having the theory and then like forcing yourself to go that way, just like, and talking about it, I feel that it's, it's therapeutic to me. It's completely like, completely. When I talk about it, I'm like, okay, I got something out of you, I'll try that. You got something out of me, we'll try that. And let's see, we'll talk about that next time. <laughs> How it works. For next time then. Okay. Thank you again, Mel. Thank you so much, Daniel. I was speaking with Abel just a few weeks ago to catch up with him and hear how he's been doing in the pandemic. And he actually decided to travel back to Spain to be with his family. So he's now in Barcelona. He's uh, with his folks, which is wonderful. And he also was telling me, though, he has still been playing throughout quarantine. He has still been finding ways to kind of make music and uh, keep himself engaged creatively and throughout everything that's going on, staying positive. Um, as always, uh, just another plug again for those show notes where you can find links to more of Abel's work, uh, where you can see his social pages and also those uh, resources about anti-racism and arts equity, including the resource that Abel recommended, as I mentioned in the middle of the show. Um, and if you want to provide feedback for the show, like I said at the beginning, you can always email us at feedback at creativeconsumptionpodcast.com. You can reach out to us through our website, creativeconsumptionpodcast.com. And you can always leave a rating or review on iTunes, which are Apple Podcasts, so Spotify, any of those podcast apps. Uh, and if you do want to support the show in other ways, you can visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash creative consumption. As always, a huge shout out to Nathan uh, for everything that he's been doing on the show. Uh, I hope that we'll actually get it so that you can hear his voice on this very soon. Thank you guys as always for listening. Stay safe and be well.